Welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Unbashful. I want to thank you very much for tuning in. Now, let's get going here. Crimes of the Future. Uh, I just saw this film about five days ago. And uh, if you haven't seen, I did an out-of-theater reaction for it. And needless to say, I was um, I wanted to refrain from using the word disappointed when I watched, when I first gave my you know initial reaction. But after kind of marinating on it for a bit, letting the film kind of digest and uh, processing it, I've come to the conclusion that I I certainly was a little bit disappointed. Um, that's just my opinion. I was very much looking forward to this film. Now I mentioned in my out of theater reaction that. There hasn't been good quality horror films within the last five years. That was sort of a mistake because, you know, recently before Crimes of the Future, I saw another horror film uh, directed by Alex Garland called Men, which I highly suggest all of you check out. Uh, that was an incredible horror film. I've seen to, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people uh, sharing their opinions on that. And, and it seems like most people don't really enjoy that film. So I seem to be in the minority for that film. Um, so there, so there certainly has been some good quality horror films, but I feel like just not as much maybe as I would like to see. So I was really looking forward to this and I've never seen David Cronenberg's films. David Cronenberg, of course, is a director of Crimes of the Future, Canadian uh, director, I'll add. And uh, he's known for body horror. That's kind of his niche, his niche. That's kind of the genre of filmmaking that he's uh, built such a cult following in. And uh this was sort of my entryway into watching his other films. And I, I'll still watch some of his other films at some point. Like, I, I, I certainly believe that Crimes of the Future was a well-directed film. But from a storytelling perspective, I feel like there was more that we should have seen. Uh, I'm not going to get into spoilers. I'm not going to, you know, describe the ending. But when the film ended, I sat there for about 10 minutes... Okay, maybe not 10 minutes, maybe about five minutes. I sat there for about five minutes and I, I was just thinking to myself, like, is that is that really it? Like, there's not more? And then, of course, once I saw that written and directed by David Cronenberg and the credits started to roll, I realized, okay, the, the film's over. It felt very, very short and it felt incomplete. Now, I also mentioned in my out-of-theater reaction that I had no problems with the performances. However, I will say I feel like Kristen Stewart's character was underutilized i expected her to be in the film a lot more than she was um she was heavily marketed in the trailers so i feel like for the amount of screen time that we saw of her character i i feel like she wasn't utilized enough um i i felt like they didn't really give her a lot of character development uh she she works for this sort of like organ registration donor clinic and she clearly has some kind of uh attraction to Viggo Mortensen's character but it really stops there uh we don't really see her very much more from there uh and, and I feel like I personally wanted to see her character on screen a little bit more um Viggo Mortensen was great he's basically the lead in this film him and Leah Sadu and uh, I, I feel like both of their performances, no complaints there. But overall, I, I, I was a little bit disappointed with this film. Um, I don't think it was terrible. Uh, I, I mentioned that visually, like it's, it's, it's a very visually pleasing film and not because of all the, the gore and the horror. I, I just, in, in terms of like the cinematography and the way the film was shot, it looked, it, it looked very good. Um, but beyond that, I, uh, I don't see myself rewatching this film anytime soon. 
it, it just felt kind of underwhelming is the best way I can put it. And that's what I mentioned in my out of theater reaction. So that's my little review for crimes of the future. If you have seen it, let me know what you think. I'm curious. Maybe you'll love the film and, uh, or maybe you'll kind of agree with me that it's just sort of like lukewarm. But anyways, on to the second headliner we got is Kang the Conqueror, the next Thanos of this, you know, decade of the, of the, the 2020s, if you will. And I believe the answer is yes. And, and specifically the reason why is because there's been reports uh, from very credible sources that have leaked things in the past for other Marvel properties. And they've all said that not only is Kang the Conqueror going to return, obviously as the main antagonist of the next Ant-Man film, but he's also going to be returning beyond that film as well. And we're, we're going to be seeing multiple versions of his character. Now, we, if we rewind to the Loki show, right? In that final episode, that sixth episode, it was a very exposition-heavy exposition episode. I, I, I'll even admit that, however it works for me. Kang described the sort of history of all his different variants, and he said that before he kind of created this, this singular timeline, there was this multiversal war between all these different Kang variants fighting for one timeline. And the leaks and, and, and the people that have been, you know, digging up these reports uh, for these future films, they've mentioned that we will not only see a, sec a secret wars event with the other Avengers going up against Kang the Conqueror, but we're also going to see a full-on Kang multiversal war happen that was kind of explained and illustrated in that final Loki episode by Jonathan Majors as Kang the Conqueror. So we're, it, it sounds insane. And for me, I have no problem with that. A lot of people have been complaining that the multiverse is going to get repetitive and redundant very quickly. And what I'll say to that is that's possible, but I, I talked about this on a couple other episodes. I think that we're, we're, we're jumping the gun too quickly, right? We're literally only halfway through phase four. I think we need to just be patient and let things play out. Let, you know, other characters like the Fantastic Four get introduced because I'm sure Reed Richards is going to be an extremely pivotal puzzle piece to this next saga of, you know, that we're building up to Secret Wars. So I think we just need to be patient. Yes, it is possible that, you know, with the multiverse, things could become inconsequential because you kill one character in another universe, that same character exists, you bring him back in. To a degree, we've already kind of seen that with uh, with Loki, for example. So I can understand that. Those are valid concerns. However, I will say, just be patient and let's just see how things play out before you, you know, return judgment. That's all I'll say about that. But going back to the headliner here, I, I certainly do believe that Jonathan Majors Kang the Conqueror is in fact going to be the next Thanos, if you will. Now, what do I mean by the next Thanos? Well, Thanos was Thanos was a character that was that was built from the ground up. They were laying the seeds for that character all the way back in the first Avengers film, right? We saw that uh, that that post credit scene at the end with a very you know terrible CGI clip of him. It was like a it was like a side profile shot of him kind of smirking. So they they were laying the groundwork for that eventual battle against Thanos, all the way back in you know whenever Avengers came out 2012 I think. So that so that's what I mean. Like by the end of this saga, whether that's 2000 whatever 30 or 31 or 32, we're gonna look back and we're gonna say 
they were building Kang the Conqueror all the way back in 2021 when we got Loki. So that's what I mean. I think Kang the Conqueror will be that next big villain that's going to have to bring all the Avengers back together to fight this 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 uh, this threat. Now, sure, along the way, uh, we're obviously going to get other villains, maybe villains that also could be involved in this this arc that they're building with Secret Wars. Maybe Doctor Doom could be one of those characters. But I think the the biggest villain, as I've mentioned, uh, will be Kang the Conqueror. And I, I was watching an interview with Jonathan Majors, who is the actor playing Kang the Conqueror, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel was just straightforward and said, you know, Kang the Conqueror is a Thanos-level villain. And then uh, basically Jonathan Majors was agreeing. He was like, yep, absolutely. So to me right there, that's just confirming that, you know, this isn't like a character we're going to see for just like Ant-Man, for example. Or uh, he's not just like a villain that we're going to see in one film and then that's it. Kind of like uh, Yellow Jacket from the first Ant-Man. Or Michael B. Jordan's character, Killmonger, from Black Panther, right? This is a character we're going to see in multiple films. And also, apparently, as different versions of himself. And I think I think that's really cool. I, I'm not against this multiversal stuff at all. I think it's, it's, it's incredibly enticing. Now, I remember, you know, it's funny now that I kind of look back in, in, in retrospect. When, when I look back, me and all my friends, when, when, when Endgame came out, and I don't think it was just me and my friends. I think a lot of people thought that the next big villain to replace Thanos was going to be Galactus, which is, which is of course, a, uh, a famous Fantastic Four villain. And I, I certainly do believe at some point we're going to get Galactus in the MCU, but I think from, from, from what we can see right now, I don't think, I think he's going to be put on hold for a little bit or not hold because we haven't, we haven't even seen him, but I think he's going to be put on the shelf for a little bit, possibly for the next decade after in the 2030s. But who knows, you know, I, I could be completely wrong. In five years, we could have Galactus, we could have King the Conqueror, we could have Doctor Doom, we could have, who knows, right? But the people that are leaking all this information, as I've mentioned, I think uh, I think one of their names is uh, My Time to Shine Hello. This individual has literally, I think he's he hasn't missed a beat. He, I think everything he's reported has, 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 has turned out to be correct. So, I, I mean, I trust him. Now, obviously, it's not official, and it, we're, we're not going to know if it's official until the film, whatever the film is, comes out. But, uh, yes, I, I am excited for this. Let me know what you guys think. Kang the Conqueror, is that something you're excited to see as the next Thanos villain for the next, whatever, 8 to 10 years? I'm curious to see what you guys think about it in the comments below. Is the multiverse kind of an issue for you? Do you think it's going to get, you know, uh, old and and repetitive really quickly or are you like me and, and, and you think there's it, this presents so many different possibilities for all kinds of different stories they can tell let me know what you guys think in the comments below will ben affleck return to play the batman after the flash right because for those of you who don't know not only are we getting michael keaton returning as his version of batman from the 80s and the 90s we're also going to be getting ben affleck he's going to be coming back for when it was first announced, it was described as his swan song to the character, basically meaning his his uh, his way to sort of put a bow on his character, on his arc, if you will, and move on from playing Batman. Now, that could still be true. That could still be the case. This could just be his kind of conclusion to his character. There's, there's also been a lot of rumors that The Flash is going to completely kill off the Snyderverse. Uh, I don't entirely believe that because we still have Wonder Woman. 
Uh, we still have Aquaman that are getting their own films and their own franchises. These are very lucrative franchises, I might add. I think the I still haven't seen Aquaman, but I can objectively look and see that it's a successful film. It made over a billion dollars in the box office. Uh, now I know Wonder Woman 1984 wasn't very wasn't received very well. I haven't seen it. I'll be honest. It, it the Wonder Woman films just have never interested me. I'll get around at some point to watching them, but uh, so you know. Bottom line, they're successful though, right? They make money and it's show business, right? Like at the end of the day, the studio wants to make a return if they're going to be pouring in hundreds of millions of dollars on these films. So I'm not entirely in this camp that, you know, they're going to wipe out the Snyderverse. I think what they'll, what they'll might do, just, you know, my theory, uh, what I think the Flash film might do is it might start an almost alternate universe without eliminating the Snyderverse to leave that opportunity open if they did want to go back to it. So almost creating like two adjacent universes, basically. And then that way they can introduce other characters because we do know that, that their uh, Supergirl is going to be in this film. And then that, that probably makes sense for Michael Keaton returning in this film. Um, so that's sort of where I fall into, I fall into that kind of camp. But the reason why I bring up the topic of Ben Affleck returning to play The Flash, right? This is this has been discussed about, and it's actually been reported by pretty significant trades in the industry, more specifically the direct. And I'm going to read this sort of quote. Now, before I get into this, I do want to warn you all that this could spoil details of The Flash. So I, this could be all fake. This this could, you know, fade off into dust, and, and we might see a completely different, you know, idea or plot take place in the film but this is coming from the direct so these guys you know they're a pretty big trade in you know the entertainment industry so i'm going to read this quote this comes from russ milheim of the direct and uh this says when directly asked about how crisis is teased oh yeah actually let me let me provide context before i read this the biggest rumor going around is that the flash is going well, not even rumor, like the, all the reports are saying that the Flash is going to set up by the end of the film, it's going to set up a potential crisis on Infinite Earth's team up film, basically. And and for those of you who don't know what that that is, Crisis on Infinite Earths, they had some shitty version of that on CW. I'm not going to lie. It, it looked garbage. I'll just be honest with you. I never checked it out. Uh, but they want to do an actual kind of cinematic version of that. And that's basically DC film, that, that's like DC's Secret Wars, essentially. You know, I, I've talked about Secret Wars many times with Marvel. That's like, that's DC's version of that. It's like a big multiversal kind of crossover event. Uh, that's what Crisis on Infinite Earths is. So now that you know that, then I'll go on to read the quote. So anyways, when directly asked, excuse that. When directly asked how Crisis is teased, in industry insider Casey Walsh wouldn't spoil all the details, but he did reveal that the tease in question involved Ben Affleck's Batman. He went on to clarify that the Flash itself is not restoring the Snyderverse, nor putting that continuity in the spotlight, which I kind of mentioned earlier. He goes on to say, Instead, it simply sets up Crisis by including a tease showing Ben Affleck's Batman. This means he, and likely everyone else in his timeline, isn't completely erased from existence. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to read that last sentence one more time because that's key. This means that he, or this means he, and likely everyone else in his timeline, isn't completely erased. 
That's what I was just explaining before. I don't think that they're going to completely eliminate the Snyderverse. I just don't even think it makes sense right now. I know I understand things have been messy and all that, but as I mentioned, there's still franchises continuing on from that, you know, saga of Snyder, you know, of, of the Snyder films, Justice League, Batman v Superman, so on. So, by the way, we're going to get into Superman after this, and uh, specifically Henry Cavill. But my general thoughts on this is that I don't think that Ben Affleck is going to return to get his own solo film because, you know, before Matt Reeves and Robert Pattinson and everybody else made that film that came out this year, uh, before that, the original planned film was a Ben Affleck Batman solo film. He was originally supposed to write, direct, produce the whole nine yards. It was going to be his baby, his film, right? And of course, starring as Batman. Then Matt Reeves was going to direct the film, but Ben Affleck was still going to star as Batman. And I think they had a script already written with, I think him and Jeff Johns, uh, or Ben Affleck and Jeff Johns wrote a script for the film and they had everything laid out. You know, from what I've heard, the story was going to basically be about Batman going up against Deathstroke. And of course there was that Deathstroke uh, post-credit scene at the end of the Justice League. So they were clearly laying the seeds for that character and, you know, for that eventual uh, film and story. And uh, Matt Reeves discussed that certainly the script was good for a cinematic universe, but he didn't want to have to put an emphasis on, you know, including other characters, because apparently there was going to be other DC characters that were going to pop up in in Batman's film. Uh, He just didn't really like the emphasis on, you know, including references to other events in the script and including other DC characters. He wanted it to be a very self-contained Batman film, which of course we eventually saw with Robert Pattinson's film, which I believe is the best Batman film of all time. So, Going back to the topic, to the headliner. Yes, I do believe that Ben Affleck's Batman will return. And I've even heard rumors that DC's offered him like 30 million bucks to come back in just like a couple other films, you know, beyond The Flash. That's a lot of money and money talks. So I think that we will see Ben Affleck return. Now, I don't think we're going to be seeing him return uh, frequently. Like I mentioned, I don't think he's going to get his own film, which is sad because I did want to see his own film. And to be quite honest with you, I like Ben Affleck as Batman. I kind of look at Ben Affleck's Batman as Andrew Garfield, as the Andrew Garfield of, you know, the other Batmans, if that makes sense. Like for a while, we all looked as Andrew Garfield as kind of like the black sheep of all the Spider-Man, right? As as sort of like the, uh, the least favorite, if you will. But as time went on and Spider-Man No Way Home came out, suddenly people want to see The Amazing Spider-Man 3. And suddenly people are considering Andrew Garfield to be their favorite Spider-Man of all time. And I think we're slowly starting to see that, or we could possibly will see that with Ben Affleck. I think once we eventually do get to this Crisis on Infinite Earths film, whether that's in five years or ten years, and Ben Affleck does come back, whether it's for a short cameo or... uh, a sort of Andrew Garfield role. Like maybe he's, he's, he plays a significant role in whatever the story is. And then people are going to be like, wow, like I wish we would have seen him more. I wish he would have stayed as a character. Like I'm a big fan of Ben Affleck's Batman. And while Robert Pattinson is my favorite Batman of all time, I've still said that Ben Affleck Batman in terms of the suit, his attitude of the character, I think is the most comic book accurate. And it's my favorite Batman suit that we've had. Um, Christian Bale's, you know, I like the Batman Begins suit, but I, I think the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises suit was just a little too slim. He didn't look imposing. He didn't look like a threat. He looked like a, a, a dude that had a lot of resources 
and put together this kind of agile suit and he was fighting crime at night. Like, I, I wouldn't get scared if I saw Christian Bale as Batman. I'm just being honest. Even with the, the you know, the crazy voice that he does. However, Ben Affleck's Batman looked look, look big. He looked jacked, right? And, and as much as I love Robert Pattinson, even his Batman is a little bit on the slender side. Now, I know it's never going to be like comic book accurate to a T, nor do I want it to be. Because I think in the comics, ben Aff- or, uh, Batman's like 300 pounds, complete muscle. That's just not, we're not going to see that on screen. So, yes, I do think that we will see Ben Affleck return past the Flash. Uh, let me know what you guys think. Do you think that this is a possibility? Would you even like to see Ben Affleck return as Batman? Let me know down in the comments below. Now, the next headliner is what should David Zaslav do with Henry Cavill as Superman? You know, forget Henry Cavill. What should he do as Superman in general, right? It's been almost 10 years. I think nine years since uh, since Man of Steel. Man of Steel came out in 2013. And it's there's basically been nothing. Obviously, we've seen Henry Cavill in you know Batman v Superman and uh, Justice League, but I mean those films weren't entirely as successful as the studio sought out for them to be. So the two questions by fans have been: first of all, when are we going to see Superman? Is Superman the character? And second of all, are we going to see Henry Cavill come back? Because there's quite a few people that want to want to see Henry Cavill come back, and I sort of have my own feelings and opinions on this now. I like Henry Cavill as Superman. However, the Superman character as a whole, I've never really found that character quite interesting. And the reason being is because he's basically immortal, right? Now, there's been there are immortal superheroes that we see, like there's obviously Thor, but they find a way to build that character up, include him in other films right? Add emotional weight to his character, build the world around him. And we haven't really seen that with Man of Steel, with Superman, right? Now, of course, he's got his, you know, mother Martha and all that. But I just feel like specifically with Superman, he is just so overpowered. It's just, it's so difficult to tell a compelling story that actually feels like there are stakes. It feels like there are consequences because this guy just can't die, you know, I, I mean, I just referenced Thor, but I think, I, I to be honest with you, I, I, I think that Superman, now, you know, I don't care if, if you don't agree with me or not, I think Superman is even more overpowered than Thor, just to be quite honest with you. I mean, that's just how I feel. So I think it's just very difficult to tell a story about that character and just to me as an audience member i i don't i can't find anything relatable about that character now i understand you know people could say dude it's it's a fucking superhero you're not it's not it's 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 an exaggerated being with with all these powers of course nobody's going to find that relatable i understand that however i'll i'll counter that and i'll disagree that that is true however it, even in other superheroes there are there are ways that they they ground those characters to a degree to have ways that the audience can relate to a degree, right? With Spider-Man. Spider-Man, of course, has these incredible abilities, but he's just a he's just a guy that lives in a shitty apartment. 
struggles to make ends meet financially, right? Those are things that people can relate to, right? I mean, he's often seen as kind of like a loser at school. He, he kind of gets bullied, right? Like th- those are things that people go through. Those are things that people can relate to, right? With Batman, Batman is an incredibly skilled individual. He's very smart, but he doesn't have superpowers. He is just very, very strong. He has incredible hand-to-hand combat. He, he's so incredible at all these different things, but at the end of the day, he's just a man. He's just a man. There's, no, there's nothing that makes him super. Whereas with Superman, he's just so cosmic. And he's literally an alien. It's, it's, just, it's hard to tell, in my opinion, a compelling story about the character. It, of course, is possible. And, you know, Superman of Steel... I enjoyed, uh, not as much of a, not as much as other people, but I did enjoy the film. So, anyways, let's get back to the headliner. What should David Zaslav now? For those of you who don't know, David Zaslav is the is the new CEO of uh, Warner Brothers. Once that deal completed with the merger, when when Discovery bought Warner Brothers, it's now called it's now called Warner Discovery. David Zaslav was the CEO of 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 Discovery, and of course now he is now the CEO of Warner Brothers. So he's he's calling all the shots. And he's expressed how he feels like DC lately has put less of an emphasis on their main IPs like Batman, you know, excluding the Batman film. I think he's referring to more of the cinematic universe, less of a Superman or less of an emphasis on Batman, the Flash, Superman, characters like that in terms of a cinematic universe. So he wants to see those characters become more of a priority rather than telling these stories of these very deep cut comic book characters like we've seen with Suicide Squad, which as much as I like Suicide Squad, that film drastically underperformed in the box office. Much of that had to do with the, you know, the the day and date release with uh, with HBO Max. So that obviously pulled money away. Or I don't think the film was a day and date release, but I think it had that shortened theatrical window of like 30 to 45 days or something. And then it jumped right to streaming. It was either one of those two. So either way, HBO Max hurt the financial box office performance of the Suicide Squad. So you could say you like that film all you want, but it kind of was a failure financially, right? And, And David Zaslav is trying to make the company money. That's his job. He wants to make the company thrive. And of course, he's got competition right next door with Marvel. He's seen what they're doing. Now, I'm, I'm sure he's probably, you know, I, I don't think the priority for DC is to do a copy and paste of the MCU. No, I I, I think they tried that and they failed with, with the Justice League. So I think they're trying to move in a different path. However, they he wants to put the spotlight back on the main characters, take care of them, tell their stories. And then once you do that, then you can go back to these, you know, super... Uh, you know, unknown, whatever, B-level characters that people aren't familiar with, like Peacemaker and so on. So what should they do? Um, what I'm going to say is is going to sound contradictory to what I was saying with the previous headliner about the Flash. And, and you know, I, I think it's, I think it's, it doesn't make sense to eliminate the Snyder verse. What I'm going to, what I'm about to say is going to sound contradictory to that. And I'm going to say that if it were up to me, I would start completely fresh, like completely fresh. I'm talking reboot everybody, reboot Aquaman, reboot Wonder Woman, reboot Batman, not Robert Pattinson. Keep that. That's because that's self-isolated. It has nothing to do with the DCU. I mean, reboot everything, everyone, 
and start completely fresh. Now, the reason why I understand that sounds contradictory is because financially that wouldn't make any sense. I'll admit that. That's why I'm not the head of, of, of DC films, right? But from a storytelling perspective, things are are all over the place. You don't know if this film takes place in the DCEU or if this film takes place in a separate universe. Like Things are just out of control. You don't know what's what. So if it were up to me, I would do a complete restart. Recast, every, not even recast, a completely new cinematic universe, right? Act like none of these characters have, have, have been on screen before and introduce them for the first time and whether it's their own films or... They decided to go right to a Justice League film, which I I don't think that's a good idea. I think they tried to do that too quickly, and I think that was I think that's what the issue was originally with the Snyderverse. I I think they just they wanted to get to that team up film way too fast. They didn't take their time to lay the groundwork. So with with Henry Cavill, my opinion is that I don't think he should come back, and I think they should just move on. So much time has already passed. Henry Cavill himself is not getting any younger now. He's not too old to play Superman. He can continue to play the character. I, I I just think that so much time has passed since Man of Steel, since the Justice League, since, you know, Batman v Superman. I, I think it's just best for everyone if they just moved on from that character. Even if you ask Henry Cavill himself, obviously, I don't know this to be true, but I imagine he probably is just, has moved on from playing him as well. I mean, we see he's playing the Witcher uh, you know, he, he's, he's been doing all kinds of films, obviously. So it's not like he does it. It's not like he needs to play Superman to, you know, continue to make a living. He's doing just fine without playing Superman. But I think for, for all parties concerned, I think moving on from him, I personally, I think would just be the best solution just because it's been such a mess. Now that's how I feel, how the studio feels, what, what they should do just from a financial perspective is I think they'll probably bring him back, right? I don't think they should, but I think they probably will. I, I, you know, they, they have people scoundering over the internet. They have social media teams. I'm sure they probably see the outcry and the demand to see Henry Cavill return. And they want to give him what they want. They want to make money. So I think we're probably going to see Henry Cavill return as Superman. And there's even been reports that it's, it's, it's starting to become a priority to... Not necessarily to bring Henry Cavill back, but to bring the super uh, the, the Superman character back. Now, there's also been rumors that we're going to see for the first time a black Superman, which I, I would love to see that. Now, apparently that film won't be a part of the DC Cinematic Universe, similar to the Batman with Robert Pattinson. So they can do that. That's fine. Or even if they want to make that Superman, the new Superman, do that. I, I just think that they should move on from Henry Cavill. It's not because Henry Cavill is a bad Superman or he's like not a good actor or anything that none of those things are true. I think he's a good actor and I think he's a good Superman, but I just think so much time has passed. And I, I think, I think everybody should just move on from, from Henry Cavill as Superman. But that, that those are my thoughts. So basically just kind of wrap up. Cause I, I feel like I haven't made entire sense. What, I, what I'm trying to say is that if it were up to me, I would move on from the whole DC universe as a whole, I would start fresh. However, I know DC Films is not going to do that because as I mentioned with the previous headliner, they've made so much money with Aquaman and Wonder Woman, it wouldn't make sense to do that, right? Money talks. So anyways, those are my thoughts. I hope that makes sense. Let me know what you guys think. 
Do you want to see Henry Cavill return? Or do you not? Are you like me and you think if he returns, great. But you would think it'd be best if they would probably just move on from him entirely and start fresh. That's just me. Let me know what you guys think in the comments below. We are now halfway through 2022, which is crazy to think about. It feels like yesterday, the year just started. But if quite a few films have come out. Now, I haven't seen every film, and I'm never, I'm never going to watch every single film that comes out every year, right? It's, just, it's, it's hard to find the time to do that. But I've seen 11 movies this year so far. And maybe after I'm done this podcast, I'll, I'll forget to include a couple uh, like that I might have seen that I forgot that I've seen. But I'm going to go over the 11 films that I've seen that have released in this first half of 2022. And I'm going to rank them. Now, I'm not going to go through each film and you know go through every little detail of each film. Most of these films, you either have seen them or, uh, or I've talked about them before in other episodes. So... Let's start off with number 11, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I thought this film was terrible. There was nothing about this film that I enjoyed. I did not connect with the main characters whatsoever. Uh, I thought they were uh, unlikable. And they just kind of annoyed me. So, and, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre himself, you know, the whatever. I just, I didn't really enjoy this film and uh, didn't work for me. So that's number 11. Number 10, Turning Red. You know, as I've been getting older, I'm, I don't really watch cartoon movies that much as as much as I used to, which only makes sense given you're growing up, you're getting older. It's not really the subject matter that you're interested in anymore. I, it's not like that for all people, but it, it's, that's how it's been for me. So I don't watch cartoons nearly as much. However, every now and then, when a Pixar film comes out, I'll check it out. You know, I'll go watch it with my girlfriend or I'll watch it with the family and whatnot. So that's what I did. I watched Turning Red with my girlfriend. And there were certainly some redeeming qualities in this film. You know, it takes place in Toronto. That's, of course, where I'm from. So, you know, there were certainly some things that I enjoy. But overall, the film didn't really work for me. And uh, I, I found that a lot of times they were really trying to kind of throw in your face these big, bold messages they were trying to illustrate to the audience. And, you know, messaging and themes and appeals and all that, that's important to have in a film and a narrative, but it needs to, it can't be like, you know, you have to make it flow throughout the narrative in a way that makes sense. And I don't know, I just felt like they were just trying to push so many different things in my face. And it was just, I was like, ah, no. Um, anyways, number nine, Jackass Forever. Now, Jackass is one of those movies that I, I grew up watching them as a kid. And stupidly enough, I would watch them and I wouldn't listen to the, you know, message provided warning. These are professionals doing the stunts. Don't do them at home. Don't do them at home. Of course, me being a 12 year old, I didn't listen to that. I'd go out with my friends and, and we would act like idiots and we would jump out, jump out of trees and, you know, go downhill, go down a hill in a shopping cart. And, you know, we were just stupid. So I grew up watching these films and for nostalgic reasons, I enjoyed this, of course. And I actually thought that many of the things they did were pretty funny and looked pretty painful. So it's one of those movies where you just want, I, I, I don't even, I feel weird even calling it a movie, right? Because from, from when I think of movies and films, I just, I don't think of Jackass. You know, let me know if you guys are the same way, but it's just a film. You, you, you go in there to turn your brain off, have some laughs, eat some popcorn, and that's pretty much it. So that's number nine. <clears throat> number eight, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. 
Uh, I've never really been the biggest fan of the Fantastic Beasts franchise. I watched the first film. I enjoyed it. And truth be told, I, I enjoy it more than this film. Uh, but if you watch my Yoda Theater reaction, which by the way, I encourage you to check it out. I saw it with a friend of mine named Zach and uh, I just didn't really enjoy it. I found the film to be... For lack of a better term, boring, just to be quite honest with you. Yeah, sure, you know, it touched some nostalgic beats, you know, it, it, they revisited Hogwarts and all that. Now, I will say, I have not seen the second Fantastic Beast film, so I, I'm not, I'm a, very much a casual viewer when it comes to this franchise. The Harry Potter films, however, I love them. I've seen all of them many times. Uh, I've read the first couple books, but I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the Harry Potter franchise, but these these little spinoff films they've been doing... For me, they haven't really worked. So that's number eight. <clears throat> number seven is The Bubble, directed by Judd Apatow. Is it Judd Apatow? I, I think that's his name. Uh, famous in the comedy genre. He's directed uh, and produced films like Superbad. Uh, I think he produced The uh, Step Brothers. Uh, he's got a whole catalog of, of, of comedy films, The 40-Year-Old Virgin. So... This this is his kind of ballpark, and uh, this is a Netflix film, and basically the, the the premise and the plot it just shows a film that's being made during COVID, when when COVID first happened, and sort of the uh, inconveniences of you know constantly doing testing. It's it's a very meta film, uh, but I enjoyed it. I had a, I had a good couple laughs, and I for what it was, I I enjoyed it. So that's number seven. Number six, Crimes of the Future. I talked about this film earlier. Kind of disappointed, kind of let down. Not a terrible film. I enjoyed certain elements of it, but it just felt very underwhelming. So that's number six. Number five, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. I've enjoyed Doctor Strange a little bit more than most people. I, I thought it was a great story. I, I often hear a lot of people say it was self-contained, it was self-isolated. I don't think that makes any sense at all. There's constant references to other Avengers and, and it picks up. It's almost like a uh, it's almost like an epilogue to WandaVision. So I, I I don't I don't buy that at all. And and I definitely think that it sets up the Secret Wars arc that we're as an audience that that we're seeing. So I think it was a very important film in the MCU, and I enjoyed it. Number four, The Northman. I am a huge Robert Eggers fan. I, I've I've preached about him as a filmmaker many times on this channel. I've talked countless times how the lighthouse was a very influential film for me to wanting to wanting to be an actor uh so and, and just i think that film's a masterpiece so i i've i've you know I, i've talked to I've, I've fanboyed over robert eggers before so when i heard that he was doing this other film called the northman i was very excited and i really really liked this film i thought it was far more action-packed than any of his other films uh however i don't think it's better than the lighthouse but I do think it's better than The Witch. So I, I once again, I think another hit for him. Not a masterpiece, but I, I really enjoyed it. So that's number four. Number three, Men. I talked about this film earlier as well. I just saw this uh, about a couple weeks ago. Came out of nowhere. The trailers looked very intriguing. But after watching the film, it far exceeded my expectations. And they were they were significantly high going in. So that was directed by Alex Garland, who's directed uh, Ex Machina and many other films. So very talented filmmaker. And I loved uh, men, I love Jesse Buckley's performance, and uh, basically the the plot and the premise. It's a woman who's struggling to deal with grief and a tragedy because her husband uh, committed suicide, and uh, so she's sort of on this like retreat to kind of heal and process uh, these uh, uh, her traumatic experience. And while she's on this retreat, there she's she's constantly coming across these different individuals that all 
look like each other and that's pretty much all I can say. I don't want to spoil it. It has a very interesting twist towards the end and uh, I wouldn't want to spoil that for you, but that's number three. Number two is Everything Everywhere All at Once. I've talked about this film countless times. I love it and I think it's going to inspire future filmmakers and future actors and, and just people that want to get in the entertainment industry and uh, I, I think... I think it's a great film is the best way I can put it. Number one, The Batman. I love The Batman. I've said many times Robert Pattinson is now my favorite actor to play the Cape Crusader. And The Batman itself, the movie directed by Matt Reeves, is my favorite Batman of all time. Yes, it's better. I think it's better than uh, The Dark Knight. I think it's better than all the Christopher Nolan Batman films. I think it's better than all the Michael Keaton Batman films. I think it's better than Ben Affleck. I think it's the best Batman we've had. Just my opinion. Feel free to disagree. So, that is my mid-year ranking, my report card, if you will, for the first half of 2022. And when I'll revisit this list and add to it once we get to the end of 2022, and I'll do a full ranking for the entire year, kind of like how I did with, with this past year, 2021. Let me know what your ranking is so far for the films that you've seen. I'm aware that there are films on this list that you're probably wondering, like Top Gun. I have not seen Top Gun yet. Uh, I, there's a couple other films that I haven't seen. So once I get around to those, maybe I'll talk about them on, on the next, uh, the end of your report card. So now we're going to transition to my top 10 most anticipated films for the rest of 2022. Number 10 is The Gray Man. Um, at the beginning of the year, they showed like a little sizzle reel on YouTube. It was like, it was a trailer showing snippets from other films that are going to be coming out on Netflix later this year, like Netflix exclusive films. And in this little sizzle reel, they showed uh, a quick clip of a movie, looked like some kind of action, you know, buddy cop movie starring Ryan Gosling and uh, Chris Evans, Captain America. And uh, we've had an actual trailer for it, and I think it looks pretty good. I, I feel like we haven't, like, when's the last time we saw Ryan Gosling in a film? Um, I, I can't remember. So I love him as an actor, and I also love Chris Evans as an actor. So I think seeing them on screen together, I think their chemistry, their chem in the trailer, the chem their chemistry looks great. And I think it's going to be an, enter an entertaining watch. So that's number 10. Number 9 is Creed 3. Uh, this film is being directed by Michael B. Jordan, and obviously he's going to be starring in it as well. So I think that's very intriguing. Uh, I think he's been working in, in 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 the film industry for a while, so I, I'm sure he has. He's worked with great directors, so I think he's probably learned a lot, and I think he's ready to kind of showcase his filmmaking skills along with obviously performing, which we all know he's a great actor. And uh, starring opposite of him in this film as uh, the antagonist, I imagine is going to be. Uh, Jonathan Majors, Kane the Conqueror himself, who seems to love playing these villainous roles, uh, and, and and there's been uh, I've seen behind the scenes footage of them filming. I assume to be a, a training montage with Jonathan Majors uh, at the beach doing like pull ups and you know doing sprints and stuff like that, and he just looks fucking jacked. So I can't wait to see this film, and I think that comes out towards the end of this year. Next. The Black Phone, another Scott Derrickson horror film. He's, of course, re-teaming up with Ethan Hawke, who he did the Sinister films with, or or at least the first Sinister film he did with uh, with Ethan Hawke, which I really enjoy that. I think he's incredible. He's an incredible filmmaker, especially in the horror genre. 
And uh, I've heard a lot of buzz from the people that saw an early screening of the Black Phone at CinemaCon, and I've heard nothing but great things, and I think it looks like a good quality horror film. So that's number eight. Number seven, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I think it's all but confirmed that Namor, who's Marvel's version essentially of Aquaman, and if my memory serves me correctly, I'm almost positive that Namor was actually created first before Aquaman. Because a lot of people say that Aquaman or that Namor is a direct ripoff of Aquaman, which I, I could be wrong. If people know this, correct me and fact check me in the comments. But I'm pretty sure that Namor actually came first before Aquaman did. So pretty interesting. And uh, I mean, they, they tease Namor in, in, in Endgame when... Uh, Scarlett Johansson was talking to the holograms of uh, of Rocket, Captain Marvel, Rhodey. Uh, I can't remember the the actress's name. the uh, The head of the Dora Milaje from from uh, from Black Panther, uh, and then she referenced how there was a uh, there's an earthquake underneath the ocean, and they deal with it with without dealing with it essentially is I you know just pretend like it doesn't exist so I think that was a direct tease to Namor and uh I'm very interested to see how they're going to handle the T'Challa of course uh, Chadwick Boseman situation so rest in peace to him of course so that's number seven number six is the new David Russell film uh titled Amsterdam starring uh Christian Bale Margot Robbie and uh Denzel Washington's son uh John David Washington who I'm a huge fan of now after watching Black Klansman and Tenet and uh, Malcolm and Marie. I think he is an outstanding performer and anytime I hear he's in a film, I get excited. And I think that's a pretty interesting uh, trio, him, Margot Robbie and Christian Bale. I think all three are, you know, Academy level actors and uh, I'm excited to see them all on screen together. Uh, I'm not too sure what the plot is about, but I'm just pretty excited just to know that all three of them are going to be on screen. I know it, I, I'm pretty sure it takes place during World War II in, a, in of course, Amsterdam. And uh, David Russell is, is a very, very talented filmmaker. Um, he uh, did American Hustle and many other films. So that's number six. Number five is Bullet Train. I am super excited for this film. It looks like an incredible action uh piece of art basically not to get too deep here but it starts brad pitt has a full cast of characters has the actor uh from atlanta not uh not what, what's childish gambino's name i forget his name uh i forget his actual name i know that's a stage name um, but not him the other actor that, that that plays opposite of him uh the actor who plays in uh Eternals, that guy, that's that's the guy I'm talking about. He's sort of like the mechanic of the group. He creates, he constructs things, very smart. Uh, he's in this film. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is in this film. Uh, and many other actors and actresses. I'm very much looking forward to it. That's number five. Uh, number four, Don't Worry Darling. This looks like a film that's right up my alley. It seems like there's, there's some sort of... Uh, like Illuminati, un dark undertone kind of uh, social experiment taking place in this town. And it seems like nobody nobody seems to acknowledge it except for, or, or at least notice it, except for Florence Pugh's character. That, that's really all I know about the film. But it looks very, very intriguing. It looks like a uh, psychological thriller, which I love films like that. And it's directed by uh, Olivia Wilde, who uh, is, a, is an incredible filmmaker. 
Uh, so that's number four. Number three, Thor, Love and Thunder. I've talked about this film many times. Uh, now that we've we've had Doctor Strange, we've had ba- the Batman. This is my most anticipated superhero film of the year, but it's the third on my list out of all these films. The next film is Elvis. I am incredibly excited for this film. I think Austin Butler is a great actor. He was briefly in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the Tex character. That was really my first time being introduced to him. I haven't seen many of his other work, but uh, I I think he's an incredible choice. And he looks a lot like Elvis. And uh, apparently, for the singing and the music... Sorry, my camera died, but uh, as I was saying with Elvis, I think Austin Butler is an incredible actor. Well, I haven't seen many of his work, uh, I can just see from the short little bit I, I saw as his text character in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that I think he's a very talented performer, and I think I think he's going to nail it as Elvis. And I, I've heard nothing but positive things from the people that have seen it, and the reception seems to be very favorable for the film, so I can't wait. Uh, The number one film on this list, Elvis, of course, is number two. The number one film is Nope. I've talked about this film many times as soon as that first trailer came out. And, uh, of course, teasing some kind of aliens and and, and horses being abducted by the aliens and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. I was sold. I am a huge fan of Jordan Peele. Obviously, Get Out was... It's developed a cult following. And I love that film. It's It's... It's fantastic. It's, it's actually one of my favorite horror suspense thriller films. And uh, I didn't enjoy Us as much as Get Out, but I still thought it was a great entry. And uh, this will be his third feature film. He, I think he was a producer and maybe even a writer on Candyman, which I thought that film was okay. But uh, Nope is, uh, is his next film that he will be directing. And I think, uh, as I mentioned, I think he uh, wrote this film as well. And uh, a new TV spot actually just dropped that basically confirms that it is aliens. We literally see a a, a very traditional looking UFO uh, chasing after um, Daniel Kaluuya's character when he's on that horse. Uh, so I think it looks magnificent. But let me know what your list is. What, what are the films that you guys are excited to see uh, for the rest of this year's film schedule? Uh, that'll do it for today's podcast, the 28th episode of Unbashful. And uh, if you stuck around for this long, thank you very much for watching. And that'll do it, everyone. I will see you on the next episode. I wish you all good health and happiness and everything in between. Have a great and fantastic day, and I'll see you on the next one.